Well, good morning, Springbrook. So good to see you all. The end of summer is upon us. I want you to look at a picture of a man. And we see this picture here. And can you tell me what he invented? Does anybody know what this man invented? Let me give you another clue. His first name is Otto. That really doesn't help. <laughs> this is the man that you should be thankful for, that God worked through in order that we might have this. Yes. Sliced bread. Sliced bread. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. And I was looking at it this past week, and I said, boy, you know how people say that's the greatest thing since sliced bread? That's where it came from because it was such a, uh, an idea that changed the way Americans ate. I mean, in the early 1900s, you had Otto, uh, his name is uh, Roweeder, Otto Roweeder, overhearing conversations of women who said they were just so frustrated with slicing bread. It took so much time and it was dangerous. So he said, well, what if we came up with a machine that would pre-slice it? So that like, was 1910 he started. And it was a long journey to get to sliced bread because he started working on you know, drawings and blueprints and things of that nature. And finally he came out with his first prototype and it didn't work. Uh, and then he went to work through hundreds of blueprints. And in 1917, uh, the place that he was doing his work burned down. Okay. <laughs> then, in 1927, ten years later, he finally finished his new and improved bread slicer. Like five feet by three feet and... And nobody was interested in it. <laughs> you imagine that? Oh, we don't need that. And then, there, then there was a friend of his who, who saw the potential for this, and he invested in it. And the first package or first loaf of sliced bread, I don't remember this, it was sold on July 7th, 1928. Just for your trivia information there. And then a couple years later, a company picked it up, and they based their business around sliced bread. And that name of, name of that company was Wonder Bread. Wonder Bread. And I was so inspired by reading that story and just thinking about, wow, look at how much time he put into that. And how many problems he had along the way, but he kept going and going and going. So last night, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in honor of... Of Otto. I thank God for honor. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, we should. Yeah. And that was so good, I had another peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and that was for his wife. <laughs> we had to live through all that. Well, friends, today we're going to be talking about patience in the Christian life, especially when suffering and trials uh, come our way. We're concluding our series. On James today, uh, we started after Easter and uh, took a break and uh, coming back just to finish off one more passage. And it's been a wonderful study. I was talking to a guy uh, during the, in the atrium, and he said when 
when he heard that I was going to study the book of, of James, he really got <laughs> shaken because he knew what James was like. It was like boom, 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 boom. You know, all these tests that God continues to send our way. But we see the theme in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effects, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. Why should we count it joy? Not because we have a problem, because we're looking forward to what God is going to do in us to make us more holy and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. When you meet trials of various kinds, it's a variety of trials. Oh, mercy. <laughs> they just keep coming, right? For you know that the testing of your faith, there's the key word, testing of your faith. That's why God allows trials into your life in order that your dependence and faith in Him might grow, produces steadfastness. That's just the idea of hanging in there, being committed over the long run, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That you may be perfect doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it does mean that you're mature. So that's how God grows us. And so we've been studying through different uh, passages of James here. We see uh, some different tests uh, that we talked about. The test of not playing favorites. The test of doing, not just knowing. The test of prayer. And the test of the tongue. And so all of those issues that come into our life that test us, help us to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, I have read the book of James countless number of times. I have uh, taken a class in James in school. When I was at Moody, I memorized the whole book of James. And I, I've taught many times on James in my pastoral ministry because it is such a practical, practical book in how we can live a more holy life. Now you think, with all that exposure, I, I have my act together, right? No, no, I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace. Um, I struggle with sin and challenges along the way. In fact, this past summer... Uh, I confronted uh, some people about different issues, and uh, it was wrong to do so because I hurt them with my words. And it started to really sink in what had happened. I felt worse and worse about it. So I went to God, and I claimed the forgiveness that I already have. I confessed my sin to him, and then I went to those individuals, uh, or I contacted those individuals and apologized to them uh, for my poor judgment. And I told the elders, and now I want to say I'm sorry to you, because as a leader of a church, my responsibility is to lead by example. You can look at my life and say, yeah, I want to live life like Dan does in terms of spiritual uh, issues. 
And I, I failed at it. Big time. And so I just want to ask for your forgiveness because uh, I just need to do that. Uh, so, yeah, just pray for me. A lot of you pray for me on a daily basis. I appreciate that so much. It's all, whenever anybody says that to me, I say, wow, that is so cool. Somebody's praying for me every day. Uh, and I do need the prayer every day. Uh, you know, we just continue to go along this journey together. You know, we sin and we ask forgiveness and we just keep moving. But we all learn a lot in the process. If you have any questions about this, you can talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about it and answer any questions uh, that you might have. But thank you. Well, we'll go back to uh, the message here. And we're going to start in James 5, 7. But James 5, 1 through 6 is important to understand so you can understand James 7 through 11. Because what James does in James 5, 1 through 6 is he condemns the wealthy, wicked, those people who are taking advantage of, of poor Christ followers, those people who are dragging them into court, those people who are cheating them on wages, those people that were actually killing Christians. Well, James has a lot to say about them, and nothing's positive. You can read that later. But that, so we get to verse 7, and we see, so how are his readers to respond to these people who are oppressing them? Well, let's go to the next slide. Say, start a riot or <laughs> do something uh, against them. No, no, it says, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And as you review James 5, 1 through 6, you realize what a significant challenge that would be uh, to be patient while you're suffering in the name of Christ. But be patient. That's a combination of two words. One means long, and the other means tempered. Long, tempered. That's patience. What would be the opposite? Short, tempered. Short, fuse. No, we should have what? A long fuse and be long tempered in difficult situations when many other people would react in a negative way. We need to be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. We're going to see that theme throughout this particular passage. And it's interesting, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned in one of every 13 verses in the New Testament. 3,000 times. Okay, what does that say? That says that's a very important theme, that God wants us to be fully aware of it, and God wants us to cling to that hope and live in the light of His coming back, and so we'll be talking about that. But first of all, I have to make sure if you guys struggle with impatience, and I'm going to do a test, okay, that will tell you if you struggle with impatience. Are you breathing? There you go. Yeah, if, you're, if somebody's not breathing, please tell us. That would be a concern. 
Somebody's sleeping out there, I don't know. But the point is, yes, we all struggle with impatience. (laughs) We have our natural impatience, and then we also have the cultural impatience. You know, the drive-thrus have been around forever, and I go and get so many illustrations, but I want to talk about the mobile phone, okay? Some people are a slave to their mobile phone. I mean a slave if it makes any type of beep beep whatsoever. They've got to look at it and see what happened. You know, they're in the middle of a conversation. Excuse me. I've got to check this. All right? And any, I mean, anybody could call you at any time. Well, there have been people in past generations that didn't like to receive calls. And if you're carrying one of these things around, they're going to call you. It's like you're always available. And again, I love my mobile phone, <laughs> but I'm not a slave to it. And I would encourage you to think about that because it really kind of speaks of our impatience. When you're impatient in a line or you're going out to eat and that type of thing and you have a few down moments, what do you do? Well, you bring out your phone. Nothing necessarily wrong with that unless you're bringing out a phone and there's another person on the other side of the table that wants to talk with you. <laughs> You know, you see whole families on their phones uh, going out to eat. Say, what is the point here? (laughs) Get it to go. (laughs) Right? So it's important that the mobile phone, again, is driven by our impatient society. And many times uh, you can become dependent on it. You just have to watch in your heart uh, where that is. Because many times we can distract ourselves with our mobile phone phones so we don't have to think about the hard issues. We don't have to think about our sin. We don't have to think about what it is to, to follow Jesus and continue uh, to grow. So we need to be patient. Now, Second Peter 3.15, it says, And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Just think about that. The patience of God. He's the creator. He's the only God. And how much patience has He had with you? How much has He waited for you to come back to Him? He's an incredibly gracious God, and He's a patient God. Then you think about ourselves, and we're driving down the road, and uh, somebody cuts us off, and we go ballistic. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Right? This is my theory, is that everybody has an amount of anger stored up within them, but they only can express it to certain people in a safe way. And unfortunately, many times uh, we sin against our family with that anger because we can't yell at the person at work. <laughs> it's that type of thing. So you got that anger stored. So in a way, a person responds, like to a, a driver that cuts them off, kind of tells you where their anger level is because they got to get that anger out. And therefore, you take your anger out on people you don't know you're not going to know in the future. Like customer service people. Oh, 
<laughs> you know, God bless you if you're a customer service person. Because that's where people really take out uh, their anger. And I have to admit, when I was younger, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was impatient in driving. Uh, Lori had to talk me off the ledge a couple times when I wanted to follow people. Uh, <laughs> I never did that. But all I had to say is, you know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about life now, and I said, I'm not like that anymore. And I would like to think it would because, was because of my spiritual growth and my steadfastness and love for God. Or it could be I'm just too tired. I don't know. <laughs> well, friends, we need to have the supernatural power of God enter our lives in order to exercise patience. So let's look at this very practical passage. There's three different things that we're do we are to do into how to be patient. First of all, James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's the first time out of three times he's going to mention that in this passage. So this past week, did you reflect upon the fact that Jesus Christ could return at any time to take his church up to be with him. The rapture, like left behind. So he's based on the Bible, of course. Have you thought about that? Because that's a pretty powerful thought, isn't it? And because the, the second coming, the rapture, has been so many times in the New Testament, that's where our hope needs to lie. And the fact that someday whether it's through death or, or Jesus Christ comes back, I am going to be with Him. And again, a lot of people struggle with the, with the idea of what heaven is like, as I've talked about before. And I've always said, it's like ten times greater than earth. And you read Revelation, you say, I don't want to go. <laughs> That's strange. <laughs> you look at some of the things going on. It's ten times greater than earth, right? So it's something we should look forward to. And the most important thing is that we're going to be reunited with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and be perfect and be one with Him. And it will be, well, jobs and responsibilities and all that thing as I've talked in the past. But I think that's one of the things that keep people from thinking about heaven. They like this earth too much. They're comfortable here. They know what it's like here. And heaven is really an issue about trusting God, right? Can God make a better environment than the one we are in now. And some of us doubt that. And so we don't think about heaven. Because like, yeah, I'm going to heaven and I'll get to that. But I tell you what, if you are suffering, you think a lot about heaven. If you are ill, uncurable cancer, you start to read books about heaven. You start to dream of what it will be like. In fact, there's a great book out by Randy Elkhorn uh, on heaven. And it's just a huge thing. I think they got a like a primer. <laughs> but, I mean, it really is amazing. And we should be educated and know about that so that we can live in the light of it because this, this life is always going to disappoint you. People are always going to disappoint you. You don't have any security. You think you have some security. 
But you really don't. So where do you put your hope? Well, the only one true thing is that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you this week uh, to read this passage uh, over, maybe on a daily basis, and just kind of really start to think of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. In James 5.8 we read, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You see it again, right? The second time. Establish your hearts. What, what, what does it mean to establish? Well, it's the idea of setting a foundation, the idea of strengthening, standing firm, being steadfast. You see, that's what we need. How many are long distance runners here? Anybody a marathoner? Okay, yeah, great. I hope you enjoy yourself. <laughs> You see, now, if you're going to be a long-distance runner, you need to establish yourself in that this is a good thing to do, that this is even fun to do, (laughs) that this is going to be profitable for my body. This is going to be fun to, to run in competition because you've got to have a really good reason to get up at an insane type of morning. And go running around the neighborhood. Right? Let's say you're running down Randall Road and you're not established in running. You think, oh, it's an interesting thing. Maybe I'll try it out and that type of thing. And, and you see a Dunkin' Donuts ahead. <laughs> and you think, hey, listen, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> and I got a cramp in my right leg. <laughs> and I have to go to the bathroom. I can either keep doing this terrible activity or I can go in the Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut and some coffee. Now, if you're not established, if you're not convinced that long running is the best thing to do, you're going to be in Dunkin' Donuts, right? And you're going to call, hey, honey, can you come pick me up at Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, it's way too far to come home. Yeah, right? So that's what it means as a Christ follower to be established. And, and that is our responsibility as a church and one to another is that we continue to establish ourselves in the only hope. And that is Jesus Christ. Whether it be a service, whether it be small groups, we're getting our alongsider uh, initiative going. And uh, we're excited about that in terms of people, more people being discipled and more lives changed. But I tell you what, friends, that's why it's so important to always be in the Word. Always, you know, where, whenever the church is open. Because you and your children need to be reminded that Jesus is their only hope. That's the greatest gift you could give your children. Of course, you want to talk about all the great things that can happen. But you know what? The most important thing is your walk with Jesus. Because He will never disappoint you. We think of uh, our brothers and sisters who have been martyred and persecuted by ISIS. Remember uh, last year when uh, they took over Mosul in Iraq? And uh, you saw this sign on people's houses. And that's the 14th letter in the 
Arabic language, which means noon. And it corresponds with the Roman alphabet with the word N, which is from Nazareth or Nazarenes. So in the Arab language, that particular symbol is one character and it is derogatory of Christ's followers. So that's what they would do. And of course, they, they came in and said, hey, listen, you've got a couple choices here. You can either become converted to Islam or you can run for your life and not take any of your belongings with you or you can die as a martyr. And it was so tragic just to see this type of thing happening over and over and over again. Now tell me, how often do you think those people think about heaven? It'd be the main thing on my mind. <laughs> How's life down here, right? I'm living in a refugee camp and uh, I've lost my wife or children, whatever the case might be. But I tell you what, they're thinking about heaven a lot more than we are. So we just again need to say, Lord, renew within me this hope of heaven so I can live in the light of eternity. In fact, also there's a t-shirt. T-shirts you can buy to show solidarity with persecuted Christians. I've seen some of you have these t-shirts. It's a great way. Uh, to be a witness and start conversations. All right. Well, we've got to keep uh, focused on his uh, coming back. There's one other thing I wanted to mention here is that a lot of people are saying, okay, Lord, I'm looking forward to you coming back, okay? But I'm young, and if you could just wait until I got my first job. Well, this is a common one. Just wait till I get married, okay? Got with guys. <laughs> Don't come back before then. Uh, and then you have wait till after I have some children. And then you say, after twelve, come whenever. Teenagers, you know. <laughs> after the age of twelve, we'll both uh, miss some suffering there. Not, not that's true with all kids, but the idea is is that we don't understand. We have not spent enough time thinking about how wonderful heaven is, and when we don't do that, we tend to love the world too much, and it's hard. It's hard for me. We just got to keep that ever uh, before us. Now he gives a great illustration about a farmer, of how we should wait for Jesus Christ to come back. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. How many grew up on a farm? Any farmers out there? Okay. How many love the garden? Yeah, okay, a lot of people like that. So what he's saying is, is that the, the Jewish farmer, of course, farming is all dependent upon God, right? My right type of moisture and uh, 
lot of other issues. But he has to trust in God. And so he has to plant those seeds and back, well, even today, uh, they would plant in the fall. And then you'd have the early rains, as it talks about here, the rainy season, in October and November. And then it would dry up. And then you'd have rains again in uh, April and March. And then you'd harvest in June. So that's a long time to wait, isn't it? And you see, you've got to realize that most of these people were poor. Maybe they were down to their last rations in that last week, and they had to trust in God that He would provide. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit. That idea of the word is in anticipation. An excitement about the harvest and the precious fruit of the earth. Something very, very important. And the most important thing in our lives should be Jesus Christ. He is precious. Walking with Him. Talking to Him. Abiding in Him. It's a very simple illustration, but it's so powerful about how we're to live our Christian lives. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that sweet? Not only in this earth will he do it, but in heaven he's going to do a complete restoration. (laughs) That's something to look forward to. That's something to get us motivated in living our lives uh, for God. So how to be patient? You need to anticipate the Lord's coming. You need to live in the light of that knowledge. The second thing is you need to remember God's reward. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another. Brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What's he talking about here? Well, the idea of grumble, it's a word, we call it onomatopoeia. The word sounds like the meaning. Grumble, 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 grumble. And so what happens in our lives, if we grow impatient with God... We're going to start to, to get angry at other people. Yeah, it's going to build up and build up and build up. And that's where we have conflicts with other people. So don't grumble against one another. You need to wait so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing out the door. Now, what's the deal with that? Hey, I'm not going to be judged. I'm saved by grace. Well, yes, you are. You're saved by grace. But when the church is taken up, the first thing that will happen is the Bema Seat Judgment. And that's, I guess you could say it's better an evaluation of your life. And we don't know the specifics behind it. I really don't want to know the specifics behind it. But what God does is He looks at our life and He 
keeps us accountable for how we used our time here on earth. How we, again, related to Him. How we served others. All those different types of things. In the Bible it says, you know, you're supposed to build a foundation of precious stones. And, but some people, they become a Christ follower, and then they just say, okay, that's good. I'll do the minimum and keep on living the way I want to live. But those are people who, who build, build with wood, hay, and stubble. And the fire comes and it's gone. But not with the precious stones. Of course, they remain. So the idea is that when we get to heaven, God is going to reward us for what He, was, he did through us. And we, again, that's a whole other area of doctrine in terms of rewards. But the idea is, is we, well, God really says, here's a motivation to be holy. Here's a motivation to pursue me. Here's a motivation to get serious about your Christian life. In fact, I have a book that has a hundred motivations to be holy because God knows how we're wired. He loves us just as we are, and He always will. And let's say that a person has not done much in regards to their Christian life. They'll still be in heaven. They won't feel bad about it necessarily. But other people will have uh, leadership positions and different opportunities because of how they stewarded this life. And that's why it says, don't grumble against each other because you are going to be judged. At the beam of seat. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Back in that day, with the judges they had, they had two huge gates into the chamber. So the Jewish readers are thinking about these two gates. And the judge is standing right at the door. What does that mean? It means intimates. He's close. Just imagine if the rapture happened today. 305. All of a sudden, we're raptured up. I don't know about you, but I want to be walking with God when He comes back. It motivates me. I want to be pure. I mean, He's done so much for me. And again, He's not demanding perfection or works or anything like that, but He is keeping us accountable for the resources we have, our gifts, our talents, whatever they might be, and He'll evaluate us. So He's he's standing at the door. So we need to be aware of that and uh, continue to pursue Him. We will move on here and... uh, James 5, yeah, don't grumble. Let's move on to point 3. Look to examples of patience. James 5.10 As an example of suffering and patience, brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So, he knows these people are really struggling, uh, experiencing a lot of pain. He says, what you need to do, now the Old Testament was the only Bible that they had, is you need to go back and look at the stories of all these wonderful Saints, they were imperfect, just like you. They just lived their life out, but God used them in a mighty way. You think of Moses, right? <laughs> he was the most reluctant leader. 
<laughs> Moses, I want you to do this. I, I can't talk. And I, he had just a list of excuses. And finally, of course, he submitted uh, to God and great things took place uh, through his life. Or you think of Daniel, right? He's exiled in the, the Babylon. And he, he says, hey, listen, I don't want to eat your food. I want to eat my own diet. And, of course, they had a little competition between the battle food and God's food. And, of course, God won out. And then he became a very influential person. And as you, of course, remember, uh, he was, they were, everyone was told not to pray to God. But he would go out on his balcony and he would pray openly to God. So they threw him in the lion's den and, um, and God protected him. Wow, incredible stories. Huh? We talked about Elijah just recently. And he he had some mood swings, right? <laughs> he was on top of the world confronting the prophets of Baal, but then after that, you know, he was empty and he wanted to die. So the point was, he's saying to his readers, and God is saying to us, that you need to study those stories. You need to really let them saturate your life. Because... That's what walking with God is like. It can be very exciting. At the same time, it can be very painful. But the key thing is steadfastness. Because, again, your life and my life kind of goes like this, right? So, oh, it's easy to be steadfast up here. But, you know, another test comes. And your faith isn't strong. And so you might fail that test. Or you'll learn through that test... And you'll strengthen, uh, or God will strengthen, your faith even more. That's the whole idea. We look at uh, uh, what's the next slide? Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So again, people who remain steadfast, and we all know people like this, don't you? You know people who have suffered so much in their lives. And you have been discipled by them. And you say, if they can do that, you know, with God's power, I can do it. So many of you are just trophies. You don't even know it. And people are looking at you and they're saying, wow, what an incredible, steadfast person. You've heard the steadfastness of Job. I won't go into the story of Job. You know, well... And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The purpose of the Lord in Job's life, right? There was a purpose behind all the suffering he went through. And there's a purpose for what's happening in your life right now. I like to call it God's plan for Dan. Whenever I compare myself to other people, no, no, (laughs) you're never going to win at that. I mean, that's just frustration forever, right? I'm just Dan, and I'm going to pursue God and uh, do my best through His power, but uh, I'm a beautiful person, <laughs> you know? It's the idea of, of not comparing yourself, but saying, wow, God loves me. God died for me. God cherishes me. So why am I spending all this time beating myself up, right? God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to continue to go back to your identity in Jesus Christ. And I love how it ends. 
the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And if you read through the Psalms, the Old Testament, you'll just hear that over and over and over again. So you always have to balance these things out in regards to, okay, this is what God expects of you. He wants you to grow and things of that nature. But if we get too heavy on that end, then it's like, I could never do anything. You know, I could never reach those standards. We always have to balance it with God's compassion, mercy, and grace. Because if we really knew everybody in this room, oh, we're all messed up, right? <laughs> right? And, and you would, the problem is that you don't really know people. They seem like they have it all together. But they are struggling deeply with a burden. So, well, that's pretty good. Heavenly Father, thank you again for another gem of truth from the book of James. I'm reminded that Pastor James wrote these things, but he also lived them out. In fact, he was a pastor in Jerusalem, and tradition tells us that there was a plot, and they took James to the top of the temple, and they threw him off. So James lived this out. And we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Help us to do anything we can to support and encourage them. And Lord, I pray you would continue to establish us. I pray for myself. Establish me. doesn't matter how long you walk with the Lord, what degrees you have. It's a daily fight to honor you. Christ's name.